You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Well, good morning. So this morning scripture reading is going to come from Genesis chapter 46, verse 28, to 47, verse 12. You can find that on page 27 at the very bottom in the Chairback Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one of those with you as a, as a gift from us so that you can have your own copy of the Word of God. Read with me. He'd sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck for a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, and I know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up to tell Pharaoh, and I will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who are in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. And they brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls to you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now. Both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Settle, let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, we give you praise first and foremost for who you are. You are the only one who is worthy of praise. We thank you for the gift of Jesus and the hope that we have in him. We thank you for the gift of your word. God, we pray that your word would do work in us. Spirit, would you be active in us? God, would you be with Jonathan as he comes to preach to us? Would our hearts be receptive? And would you challenge us in ways that we could live for you and in ways that our hearts need to be shaped to glorify you more? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
1987, a preacher named Oral Roberts began a campaign to raise money for medical missions overseas. His target goal was $8 million. It was a very bold venture. And as they got into the campaign, they raised quite a bit of money. But it became clearer and clearer that they were getting further from their goal than they needed to by their end date in March of that year. But Roberts had a trick up his sleeve. You see, he went up into a tower that he had on a university that he started, and he began to pray. And when he came down, he told his followers that if we don't raise this money by March, I am going to die. (laughs) I would have loved his followers to put that theory to the test, but that's not what happened. Now, I know that sounds like an outlandish claim for us, and I would hate to hear anyone here at Mill Creek make such a claim. But Roberts came out of a different theological thinking that was founded in something called the New Thought. Basically, in New Thought thinking, they believed that when someone possessed Scripture in their mind, they actually gained power. And they could then use that scripture any way they pleased in order to enact God's will. Pretty outlandish. Now, over the years, that sort of theological thinking would morph and take different avenues. And it would go by many different names. Some had called it the word of faith movement. Others, the name it and claim it. But it would all eventually fall under the name of the prosperity gospel. Now, I would love to get in with you today, this morning on all the errors of the prosperity gospel, how they distort scripture, how they try to make God's word do whatever they please, but that's not my focus this morning. You see, I think in our theological circle, we understand that this prosperity gospel is false, and we should, and it's right for us to refute that false gospel. But I think oftentimes we find ourselves reacting to that false teaching in order to fix our own beliefs. And here's what I mean. I think oftentimes we have fear of using words like blessing or prosperity because we might sound like these false gospels. But for us people of the word, we always have to ground our thinking in what does the Bible say? How do we understand how God is blessing his people? Now, clearly, as we've seen through the book of Genesis, God's blessing is evident. From early on, God has been calling a people to bless and call by his name. So how do we understand blessing? Are we allowed to say that we're blessed when we get a job promotion? Are we allowed to say we're blessed when we have food on the table? What about when our marriages are struggling? What what about when we are caught in sin that we just can't escape? Are we still blessed? This morning as we dive into the scripture, we are going to approach the idea of blessing from the perspective of the Bible. And we're going to do so by looking at the book of Genesis. Now, I have to warn you, this text that we're diving into this morning is structured a little bit different than what we're used to. Because in our text this morning, there's something called a chiasm. And basically, a chiasm is a Hebrew literary device which is found all over the scripture. 
And how this works is in a chiasm is you have two parallel sides of a scripture. And in the middle, you find the point. But in order to get to the point, you've got to pull back the different layers in order to get down to the middle. If you were with us as we journeyed through the book of Mark, you may have heard Jeremy refer to these as sandwiches. Thank you for that deep theological term. Like a sandwich, you've got your bread on the outside, and you've got to work your way into the middle in order to find the meat. Well, in this passage this morning, we actually have three layers of bread that we will be pulling away to understand the point. So now that we're all thoroughly confused and hungry, let's move forward to our text. This morning, we're going to be taking a look at three different points. In point number one, we will be pulling back the three layers of our chiasm. In point number two, we will be hammering into the center the meat of our passage. And in point number three, we will be pulling these ideas together to understand how God blesses his people. With that in mind, open up your Bibles to Genesis 46, 28 to 47, 28. As we dive into our first point this morning. Point number one, God blesses his people through fulfilled promises. Now, as we open up here in verses 28 to 30, we are hopping into a reunion that it's been 20 years in the making. If you haven't been with us through the book of Genesis, uh, you'll know that back in chapter 37, uh, Joseph's brothers, his 10 older brothers, came together and schemed on Joseph to sell him into slavery. They were jealous of their father's favor for him, so they wanted to get rid of him. And after they sold him into slavery, they uh, went to their father and convinced them that Joseph had died after he got attacked by wolves. Now, his brothers assumed that in that time, that 20 years, that Joseph surely would have died. But 20 years later, when a severe famine hit the land, they had to journey to Egypt in order to find food to eat. There, while they were in Egypt, they found out that not only had Joseph not died, but that he had also risen to second in command of all of Egypt. Now, long story short, when they came there, there was a long period of testing, but eventually, by the grace of God, Joseph was able to forgive his brothers. And he would be in the perfect position, not only to save his brothers from the famine, but also to secure a place for them in the land of Egypt. And now, after 20 years of being apart and thinking that his son was dead, Jacob and Joseph finally reunite. It's a beautiful moment. The two embrace in a hug, and they weep on each other's neck. And then Jacob says this in verse 30. He says, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Now, that might not be the reaction we were expecting. I mean, Jacob has just received his son back that he thought was dead, and now he's ready to die? But let me help you understand what Jacob is saying here. You see, what we have to remember is that for 20 years, Jacob has been in mourning. And over and over again in the text, we have heard him say, I am going to go down to death in sorrow. And now he's saying, I can die in peace because I have received my son back. This is a joyful moment. So here in the top of our text, in this first portion of our parallel, we see Jacob can finally die in peace. 
Now, move with me to the bottom of our, of our text to understand how this parallel is working. Look with me at chapter 47, verse 28. It says, And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147. So at the top of our text, we have Jacob saying that he can finally die in peace. And now down here at the bottom, Jacob dies 17 years older, uh, 17 years later. And you may be wondering why this is important, why this is something that we would want to point out here in the text, but let's remember that last week in Genesis 46, verses 3 to 4, God gave Jacob a promise. Read with me what he says here. He says to Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So basically, what God is promising to Jacob is that Joseph is going to be the one who walks him into death. He received back his son, but he's also receiving the promise that God has fulfilled. But you may also notice that there's more promises embedded in this verse that God spoke to Jacob. God also promised that he would make him into a great nation, and he also promised that he would be with him. So now that we've seen this first layer of our text, we need to dive in a little bit deeper to see how God will continue to fulfill his promises. Move with me back to the top of our text to see our next parallel. Look with me at verses 31 to 34 in chapter 46. Now, here in the text, as Joseph's family makes their way to Egypt, Joseph begins to prepare them to go before Pharaoh. And when he brings his brother before him, he wants to make certain that he secures for them the land of Goshen in the upper region of Egypt. And here's what he tells his brothers. He says in verses uh, 33 to 34, When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth until now. But we and our fathers, in order that we may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Now, if you are listening closely to what's going on here in the text, Joseph tells his brothers that he should tell Pharaoh that they are keepers of livestock, a term for keepers of sheep. But you also notice that he said that shepherds were an abomination in Egypt. I'm kind of thinking that you should steer away from the shepherd talk. I mean, if you're going to do anything, don't talk about the sheep. But Joseph's actually got a plan here. You see, Joseph wants to make certain that his family moves to Goshen. Number one, because this is the perfect place for shepherds to prosper. This land was full of, of, of pastures and, and green lands where they could continue to raise up their sheep and can continue to, to prosper in their occupation. But there's another reason. Joseph all, also wanted to make certain that his family remained separate from the rest of Egypt. You see, as we've been walking through the book of Genesis, God has been calling a people to remain distinct, unique from all the other nations of, of the earth, a people that God called to himself. You see, by telling the Egyptians that they are shepherds, 
It would ensure that no Egyptians would intermarry with the Hebrew people. It would mean that Pharaoh would want, not want to take Joseph's brothers and put them in places of authority and intermingle their two nations, thereby losing their distinctness. So Joseph is adamant that we have to be, remain separate, just like God called us to be, that we would one day be created into a nation. So here at the top of the text in verses 31 to 34, we see Israel seeking the land of Goshen. Now move with me to the bottom of the text in verse, chapter 47 and verse 27 to see our parallel. It says, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Now here in this parallel we can see what God is doing. In the beginning, uh, the people of Israel moved to the land of Goshen. And now we see God prospering them. We see just as Joseph desired as he was following the will of the Lord, now they are being created into the fruits of a great nation. God is building up his people. God is securing a place for them and causing them to prosper. God is doing exactly what he promised he would do. But there's still one more promise we need to see fulfilled. Well, it's clear eventually that God is with his people as they multiply and grow greatly. We will see this promise fulfilled even more immediately here as we move back to the top of the text. In verses 47, 1 to 6, we will see that God is with his people as they go before Pharaoh. Here in the text, we see that after Joseph gives his brothers advice before going before Egypt, now we see them beginning to have that conversation. Pharaoh calls in Joseph's uh, family and begins to have a conversation with them. And it goes exactly as Joseph desired. The brothers say that they're shepherds, and Pharaoh gives them the land of Goshen. But even more than that happens here in the text. Notice with me what Pharaoh says. He says, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you have any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So here, not only are Joseph's brothers receiving the land of Goshen, They're receiving the best of the land of Goshen. And on top of that, Pharaoh is putting them in charge of his livestock, which would have come with a healthy compensation. So while this this severe famine is raging on in the land, Israel is prospering. Not only are they receiving the best of the land, they are receiving wages and compensation. They are receiving a place where they can thrive and prosper. And they are receiving favor in the eyes of Pharaoh. Clearly, God is blessing his people. But move with me to the bottom of our text to understand just how vital this blessing was. As we look down in chapter 47, verses 13 to 26, we see the contrast to our text this morning. At the top, we saw Joseph's brothers going before Pharaoh, the Egyptian, in order to gain favor. Now here at the bottom, we will see the Egyptians going before Joseph to gain favor. 
Here we see, we start to see just how bad this famine is. The people come before Joseph asking for grain. Joseph had been put in charge of uh, Pharaoh's storehouses, and he was responsible for divvying out the proceeds to the people. So first we see the people coming and giving away all their money in order to buy food to eat. But then when that runs out, when all their money is gone, they have to go back as the famine rages on. And this time they bring their livestock, and they trade away all their livestock in order to buy grain which is more compensation for Joseph and his family. But even that was not enough to get the people through the famine. You see, one more time, once all their money and cattle were gone, they also ran out of grain once again. And this time they came to Joseph, and they traded away their lives into slavery and their land to buy grain to eat. You see how desperate these people are? You see how severe this famine was. Things are getting rough. Now, you might be thinking that Joseph is being a little bit of a jerk by taking the Egyptians into slavery while they're starving. But there's two things you've got to keep in mind here in the text. Number one, Joseph works for Pharaoh. And he has an obligation to his boss not to just give away the grain. He's got to get something for it. But you also notice here in the text, in verses 23 to 26, that while Joseph could have taken all of the land, he actually only takes 20%. So what Joseph does is he claims one-fifth of the land and gives 80% back to the people. This is actually very generous. Even though Pharaoh had a right to everything, he's giving the people proceeds to prosper on, and he's even giving them the bulk of the proceeds. Jacob is being a, Joseph is being a blessing. The point is, however, that while this famine is ravaging the land, the Egyptians are struggling just to stay alive, while Israel is prospering. Israel is growing and multiplying. They are becoming fruitful. They are gaining wealth and prosperity in the land of Egypt, even in the time of severe famine. God is with his people, and they are blessed. They are blessed because God is fulfilling his promises. They are blessed because God is providing for them. They are blessed because God is with them. And we shouldn't be afraid to say that God is blessing his people when they prosper. God is fulfilling his promises, and that is a blessing. And that's where the prosperity preacher would want us to stop. They would want us to think that based on their faith, God blessed them. But let's remember that this prosperity is rooted in God's promises. It's not because God's people were good people. It's not because they had some great faith that was standing over the people of Egypt. God blessed them because he promised he would bless them. And that's why we could say they are blessed. But let's also remember, we haven't quite got to the center of our text this morning. And now that we've pulled away these first three layers, let's dive in even deeper 
to get to the meat of our text this morning. Move with me to our second point of our sermon. Point number two, God blesses his people through suffering. Now, if you've been following with me as I've been pulling back these texts, you'll notice that there's one portion left in the middle, verses 47, 7 to 12. And here is where we see Joseph introduce Jacob to Pharaoh. Now, earlier we saw Joseph's brothers come before Pharaoh, and that went exactly as we should expect. They came before Pharaoh very respectfully. They refer to themselves as Pharaoh's servants, and they even seem to keep a distance. You'll notice also that Pharaoh actually never addresses the brother. He speaks to them through Joseph, which means he thinks that they are beneath him. But it's a different story when Jacob walks in the room. You see, not only does Jacob speak to Pharaoh as an equal, he even seems to address Pharaoh as a lesser. Notice here in the text in verses 7 and 10, Joseph twice blesses Pharaoh. Now that might not seem like a big deal, but we should understand that it was never seen appropriate for a lesser to bless a greater. It was always the other way around. And certainly a shepherd should not be blessing Pharaoh. But Jacob is acting as the greater. Jacob is coming into the room and saying, you need my blessing. And you've got to appreciate the contrast here. Uh, on one side, you have Pharaoh, a man who has been raised in luxury his whole life. According to the Egyptians, he was regarded as a god and seen as immortal. This was the king of the greatest kingdom of all the earth. And on the other side, you've got Jacob, a dirty old shepherd, a man with no land, no dominion, no throne to call his own, who has lived as a wanderer his whole life. But Jacob says, you need my blessing. Jacob says, because I am blessed by the God of creation, the truly immortal one, you need to be blessed by me. I am greater, not because of my position, but because of the one who called me. It's quite shocking, especially if you're an Egyptian in Pharaoh's court, to see this shepherd man come and bless Pharaoh. And even Pharaoh seems to be a little shocked. Notice his question here in verse 8. He says, how many are the days of the years of your life? Now, Pharaoh's question isn't meant to be disrespectful as it might be in our culture. In those days, in their society, age was seen as something to be revered. And it was very rare for someone to, to live even close to 100. They cherished Jacob's old age. But notice Jacob's response to Pharaoh. He says in verse 9, says, And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the life of, the, of, the life of my father and the days of their sojourning. Wow, what a buzzkill. I mean, as we've been walking through the text, Jacob has been, uh, been blessed abundantly by God. 
We've seen him receive back the son that he thought he lost 20 years ago. They've been given the best land and the greatest kingdom of all the earth. Jacob has basically hit the lotto. So Jacob, how are you feeling right now? Awful. Life's been hard. And I'm not even as old as my father. But let me explain what's going on here. First, what Jacob is saying to Pharaoh is, number one, I'm not as great as my father Isaac or my grandfather Abraham. If you think that I am something to behold, those are the truly blessed men. Those are the ones that you should really be looking to. I am here because of them. But he's also saying, you think my 130 years are something to be cherished? My life has been hard and difficult, and I have suffered. Jacob is being honest and humble. He's saying, I am not a great man. I am not someone to be revered. My life has been full of suffering. And you may be wondering, why in the midst of all this prosperity, and in the midst of all these blessings, why is this at the center of our text? Why is this what everything is pointing to? But there's something we have to remember. Well, God brought his people to Egypt to become a great nation. He was also leading them into suffering. Let's remember what he said to Abraham back in chapter, in Genesis 15, verses 13 to 14. He says, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, I I think when Jacob is standing before Pharaoh, I think when Moses, the writer of Genesis, is writing the text, I think the reason that they include this this, uh, bit of suffering about Jacob is a reminder to the original audience, that this suffering in Egypt had a purpose. For them, as they're reading about Jacob and his family traveling to Egypt, they would have been thinking, what are you doing? Why are you leading us into this evil place? Why are you leading us into suffering? Why are you leading us into slavery? God, I thought you wanted to prosper us. Why are we led into suffering? I think the life of Jacob is a testament. Well, Jacob's life was full of of suffering and evil days. Jacob is also a man blessed by God. In all the days of his sojourning, all the days that he wandered, God has been with him. In the time when he has been cheated out of his wages by his uncles, the time when his brother tried to hunt him down and kill him, even in the times of his own sinfulness, God has blessed him. God has been with him. And God has sealed his name upon him. Well, Jacob has suffered. He has been blessed. And for those of you here this morning who are trying to make sense of the suffering of your life, you have to understand that God certainly will lead you into suffering. 
but you also have to understand that just because you are suffering does not mean that you are blessed. It doesn't matter if you're suffering because we are living in an evil land. It doesn't matter if you're suffering because you have wronged people in your lives or committed sins. If God says he is with you, he is with you. He is using those times to transform you and shape you. God is blessing you. So the question we come back to as we are looking at this prosperity leading into suffering in our text, is how do we make sense of these two ideas? How do we make sense that God is blessing his people through prosperity and fulfilled promises, but also in suffering? To understand that this morning, move with me to the third point of our text this morning. Point number three, fulfilled promises and suffering move us to the true blessing. Now, as we round out this text, there's something important we need to keep in mind. Well, God was certainly moving Israel to the land of Goshen, this was not their homeland. Well, God certainly wanted to settle them in Egypt. This is only a fragment of God's promise. Remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham, he promised to bless him, make him into a great nation, and to bless peoples through him, but to also give to his descendants the land of Canaan. You see, well, Israel is in Egypt now. This is not their promised land. Well, God was blessing them in Egypt This was not the true blessing. Well, they had tasted and seen the good things of the the Lord. This was not the substance. There were still more down the line. And God was using both the promises and the suffering to move them through the land of Egypt to the ultimate blessing. When they would one day be a nation, the greatest nation on all the earth, a people secured for God's own choosing. But we too also have a greater blessing. You see, what God has given us promises here on earth, they cannot truly be fulfilled in this lifetime because this world is not our home. We are not meant to dwell forever in the prosperity of this earth, and we are not meant to dwell forever in the sufferings of this world. God is calling us to a greater reality. But in this lifetime, we can be fixed on the truth that God is both fulfilling his promises here and now, and that we will suffer. We see all throughout the Bible that the the Lord is making these great promises, and they're not just for the nation of Israel. To us in the New Testament, God promises through Jesus in Matthew 11 that anyone who comes to him will find rest. In Romans 8, chapter 28, God promises to bring good from all things to those who love him. And in Matthew 6, Jesus promises that God will meet our daily needs. And in these things, we can rejoice. 
We can rejoice knowing that God is doing exactly what he promised he would do. We can rejoice and say that we are blessed when we have food on the table. We can rejoice when we are prospering. Because God is doing what he said he would do. But let us also remember that these prosperities of this lifetime are not meant to last forever. Many people in the Christian circles want to act like Pharaoh who longed for the long life of Jacob, who longed for the blessing that seemed to be had on his life, not realizing that Jacob's blessing was not of this world. These promises are not the full fulfillment of God's promises. They are a reminder that God is leading us to our homeland. And let us not forget that Jesus also promised suffering. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says that if you follow him, you will be hated for his namesake. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to pick up your cross daily and follow me. And in Matthew 10, he said, if anyone will follow him, if anyone wants life, they must die. You see, Jesus has promised us suffering. We have this guarantee that this life will not be full of prosperity all the time. We have this guarantee that God is leading us through hard times. We have this assurance that these things will come. But we also have the assurance that God is with us. When we face hardships in life, we will never face them alone. When we face brokenness, sometimes as a result of our sinfulness, we can be certain that God still loves us. And we can say that we are blessed. Because just like we have suffered in this world, Jesus also walked in suffering. Jesus, who lived in the prosperity of heaven and the good things of all the earth, left aside his heavenly throne to come down to this earth to suffer for you. Jesus came to this world to walk you through this suffering and to fulfill God's promises in your life right now but also to lead you to a greater reality. You see, our blessing is not solely in the fact that God is fulfilling his promises now. It's not solely that he's walking with us in suffering. Our greatest promise is that God has secured a place for us in eternity. And there we have an inheritance that will never die. An inheritance will never pass away. A promised land that will endure forever. A place with no suffering, no mourning, no anguish, no more struggles with sin. Church, that is our promise. If we view blessings in this world through the lens of prosperity and suffering, we will always have the wrong idea. But if we view prosperity and suffering through the lens of the greater promise, 
we can have hope in this world. Even if you never get that job promotion. Even if the days of prosperity come to an end. Even if we suffer for a lifetime. That promise will always be certain. Because Jesus secured it with his blood when he gave his life for you on the cross. And because of that, you can be blessed. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the promises that you fulfill in this lifetime. We're grateful that you have not left us alone in suffering. We are grateful that you sent your son Jesus to walk with us in times of despair. But we are even more grateful that you have secured for us our heavenly reality. You have given us a confidence on this world that will never end because your work on the cross will never end. And you have secured for us eternity. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in you for the gift that you have given us on the cross and the life that you have secured for us in the resurrection. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.